So glad to see you all this evening. If you turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, uh, one of our sisters was sorry that she didn't bring her Bible with tabs because of all the passages that we go to. I told her tonight is your night because uh, most of our passages are from Ephesians. I would lie if I said all, but most are from Ephesians. Before we read, uh, we've talked about, uh, beginning Sunday morning, the idea that we are to be founded on a rock, and that rock is Jesus Christ, and the confession that there is no other way to heaven but Jesus Christ, for He is the way, the truth, and the life. He never changes. He is our rock of salvation. We talked about also how we are called to be holy and built up as part of that royal priesthood, that chosen generation, a, a temple and a habitation of God which He's created uh, in us through the Holy Spirit of God. Last night we talked about the importance of humility before we can seek true revival. We've talked about what uh, we should be and, and how we should look and what we should hope for, but some folks might be wondering I don't think I can do it. Well, that's all right, you can't. But there is someone who can, and he can do it and will do it and wants to do it through you, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. I'm often uh, told one of the criticisms of my preaching is that uh, whenever he preaches, I don't get lifted up. I leave convicted. Well, if there's ever a lifting up message from Pastor Joseph, tonight's the one. So with God's help, after that appropriate intro, be lifted up in Christ. The Lord Jesus told the disciples just before He ascended unto heaven the 40th day after He rose from the dead, Tarry ye here in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Then you shall be my witnesses to the other ends of the earth, first in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other ends of the earth. Before we are to minister, we are to be endued with power from on high. That's not just for the disciples 12 many years ago, but it's for you and I if we're born again believers. Let's look at who we are in Jesus Christ here in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him, in whom we have also an obtained an inheritance, 
being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. May God add his blessing and understanding to the reading of this, his holy word. We need to know, first of all, who we are in Christ. It seems right that we should build our life on a rock, on the never-changing word of God. And, and yes, pastor, we understand that God has called, called us to be holy. And, and yes, we need to humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face. But if we're really honest with ourselves, we can't. That's all right. Neither can I until we know who we are in Christ and what Christ is in us. Let's take a look real briefly at what we just read. Who are we in Christ? Verse 3, we, he's blessed us with all spiritual blesses, blessings in heavenly places. Notice it doesn't say he's blessed some of us with a few spiritual blessings now and again. No, no, he has blessed us. God has blessed us, us as Christians, not just the Christians in Ephesus, but all true believers. Blessed be the God and Father, verse 3, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath, that's King James, it's talking about a completed act. It's already done, folks. He hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Did you know that there's no more spiritual blessings that you can receive in a sense from God? Because if you're born again, you already have them all. My goodness, did you know about that? We need to know these things. What else? There's much more to know if you haven't seen it. Verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He set his love upon you before you were even a uh, gleam in your father's eye. Before there was a father, but all the way back before the creation, God set his love upon you and he has ordained you to be what? He has made you, created you, predestined you to be holy and to be blameless before him in love. You say, Pastor, I just can't be holy. I know, that's why God predestined you to be holy and to be blameless. Without God, we can do nothing. We see in verse 5, God has predestinated us to what? Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, that we believers become sons and daughters of the Most High God. What a glorious thought. How wonderful to be children of God. 
Verse 6, he's made us to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Have you ever been somewhere you didn't feel accepted? <laughs> praise God, if you're God's child, he always accepts you. If you're his child, God has made us acceptable and accepted in his son Christ Jesus. Verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. An inheritance? Did you know you have an inheritance? You say, yes, but my parents haven't died. No, no, you see, <laughs> there's an inheritance of God waiting for you in heaven. And as we're about to find out, God has already given you a goodly portion of it so that you might be thoroughly furnished and equipped to every good work. We'll see that in just a moment. You say, boy, I need to find out about that. I'm missing out on something. Well, just listen carefully. In whom also, verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance. Note it says, we've already obtained it, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom, verse 13, ye also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Did you know you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit? What a wonderful truth. If you've truly been born again, you will never lose that salvation. God doesn't make mistakes. Who saves you, you or God? If it's God, he doesn't make mistakes. If you're truly born again, you cannot lose that salvation. The Holy Spirit of God has sealed you, and he has given you a down payment on the inheritance. Look at the next verse in verse 14. Well, 13 ends, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Who is the purchased possession? You and I. We've been purchased with, us. with what? The blood of Jesus Christ. We have received earnest. You ever heard of earnest money? Anybody rent a house or something? Earnest money. We have received earnest money. Now God doesn't owe us anything. But, but the fact is, we have been born again, predestinated and saved, and one day we receive this tremendous inheritance in heaven, eternal life with God, which we'll look at later on. But it's not like we have to wait completely until then. God has already given us a great earnest in advance. And what is that earnest? It says, which is the earnest? Referring back to the previous few words in verse 13, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit of God is the earnest of the great inheritance. The Holy Spirit of God comes to us. And don't be duped or, or feel sorry for yourself that you only have the Holy Spirit. You don't have the Father and the Son. Because in a sense, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have all three. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ says, If a man love me, I will love him. And my Father and I will come into his heart and make our abode with him. And that, of course, is through the Holy Spirit. So we who are believers have the Holy Spirit right now. And I don't get into the Greek and Hebrew too much, but I want to mention this. This word earnest in Greek is erabon. Erabon is also used in Greek for an engagement ring. It's interesting. God has engaged himself to us through the Holy Spirit. Keep that in mind as we continue on. And there's so much beautiful. We, we could spend a whole sermon series. I'm sure your pastor has done it. Or, or Anyone can take weeks in what we just read. But that's not our purpose tonight. We don't have that time. So let's move on. What then is the end of this chapter? The Apostle Paul tells us who we are in Christ. And then he prays for us. 
Paul is praying for us, not just the Ephesians. He's praying for all Christians. He's praying for us. Is he praying that we'll get more blessings? How could he do it? He's already told us we have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Then what's he praying for? Take a look and see. Verse 15, Wherefore I, I also after I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now Paul is praying, what's he praying for you and me? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 17, the Father of glory may give unto you that God would give us what? The spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The spirit of wisdom and revelation, why do we need that? The next verse explains it. Verse 18, That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. God is praying that we would wake up to know who we are and what we already have in Jesus Christ. He's not praying here that God will bless us with a second blessing or a third or a fourth for that matter. He's not uh, praying that, that we would get extra blessings that we don't have because we don't know how to get them or, or we're somehow insufficient Christians and he's a super Christian. He's not saying that. He's not praying, I wish you could be an apostle like me, but since you can't, I'll just pray for you. You're so sorry. God bless you. Have a nice day. No, no. He is praying that we will realize what we already have in him. And what is that? Number one, it is praise that we might, in verse 18, the eyes of our understanding being light, that we know the hope of his calling. Praise God for the hope that we have. When, when I heard about Roy Lee Cobb, he's an older man, and I was not as sad as some others who were close to him, I'm sure, but I rejoice because I don't sorrow as others who have no hope. That man's in heaven, praise God. And if he wasn't in heaven, he'd be right here. And with God's help, we'll see heaven on earth here in this place. And we give God the praise. Because if it wasn't for Roy Lee Cobb, I wouldn't be here tonight. Isn't that something? But we have hope. We'll see him again. He's in heaven. We don't sorrow after the departed ones who have no hope. And then the next thing, not only do we have the hope of the resurrection, but that the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. If you're a son and daughter of God, I don't know what's in your bank account, what kind of house you have, what kind of car you drive. You are rich, folks. There's no one can be richer than you. This little life, which is but a vapor, whether it's 20 years or 30, 40, 80, 90, so what? It's nothing compared to eternity. And the riches that await you would make Donald Trump and all the kings and queens of history look like uh, people on welfare. It's just amazing what riches await you and I. But not just in heaven. He's praying that we understand the riches that we have claimed to right now. And in particular, the third thing that he wants us to grasp is this one. Verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Did you see that? He's saying that you believers, if you're a true believer, you have the very power of God inside of you now. This is what Jesus says. Don't go and, and share the gospel until you be endued with power from on high. And Paul is saying if you're a New Testament believer, if you're born again, if you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, you have the very same power in you that the apostles had in them. I'm not saying we're apostles, I'm saying we're Christians. We have the same spirit that the apostles had. But not only that, if there was any miracle that was great, it was what they sung about earlier. The greatest miracle of all was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because the Romans tried to keep him dead, the Jews tried to keep him dead, and you know Satan and every demon in hell tried to keep him in that tomb and they couldn't do it. 
Think of the power that God must have used. The Bible says that it's that particular power that we have in us. Look, it specifically says that to make sure that you understand you didn't get some second-rate power or just a tiny bit of power. No, no, look what it says. That we would know that we have in us the exceeding great power which God used, verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. What a glorious thing. Did you know you had such power? My question is, if you did, how you been using it? If you didn't, when are you going to start? And if you're not born again, when are you going to get right so you can partake and be used of God in this way for his glory? Amen? Let's continue on. So we see this prayer, this wonderful prayer for us. If we turn to Ephesians chapter 2, of course we see that this is ultimately based in what we just said. If you're not saved, this doesn't apply to you. I hope everyone tonight knows they're saved. And how do you be saved? It says it clearly here, more clearly than anywhere else in the Bible, I think. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I've mentioned this idea many times without mentioning this verse. We don't work for salvation. Our salvation is not faith plus works, but our salvation is of a faith that works. We're saved by God's grace, His mercy, unmerited favor and love of God when He saves us by giving us this faith that we can believe in Him. And when we believe on Him and the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, then we begin to work for him, not because we're fearful, but because we have joy and we have a desire to please him. And not only are we doing good works for him, but we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus. You ever heard of fine jewelry or fine handcrafted furniture? Look at this highly crafted workmanship. That's what should be said of you and I as God is refining us and, and molding us and sculpting us and shaping us, conforming us to what? Oh, I'm sorry. Briefly, leave your hand in Ephesians. I can't help it. Turn back to Romans. It's your pastor's fault. He mentioned Romans 8. <laughs> Romans 8. <laughs> we just have to look at this quickly. Romans 8. You know verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now look what it says after that. For whom He did foreknow, Romans 8, 29. He also did predestinate. Predestinate to what? To be conformed to the image of the Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. You can turn back to feet. We are predestinated. You say, well, that means we're going to be saved. But, but the, yes, but the point is that salvation that God is working in us through Christ Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is that we might be conformed more and more and more to the image of Jesus Christ. Some people say, that's blasphemous. I can't understand. What are you talking about? This is what God wants. We are sons of the Most High God. Who is Jesus? A son of the Most High God. Now, we don't become God by being born again. We're adopted. He's the only begotten Son. But we become somehow mysteriously partakers of the divine nature. 
The power of the Holy Spirit of God is inside of us. And once we're born again by grace through faith, not of ourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast, God begins to work in us. And we begin to be sanctified as we submit to Him and surrender to Him from glory to glory, from grace to grace, more and more looking like Jesus Christ. And that includes the power of God that should be operating in our lives, individually, in our families, in our church, in our communities. People should look at you and they should say, something strange there. I don't know. They pray and things happen. I don't understand what it is about them. There's something there. And we know what it is. It's the power of God in us. In Ephesians 2, 19, we've already mentioned and referred to this before, that you Christians are called the household of God, Ephesians 2.19, and that we, verse 20, are built upon the foundation of the apostles, prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. When you're born again, you don't become God. But when we're born again, our spiritual DNA changes. And somehow or another, Jesus is the high priest. But we become his priests, his servants. We, he is the true son of God, the only begotten. But we become adopted sons and daughters of God. We get the, this amazing privilege to be part of the house of God, which he is building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We need to understand who we are in Christ. It's really quite amazing. It continues on, verse 21, In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Did you know that you are a habitation of God? What does that mean? When you're alone and you're tempted to look at things you shouldn't, just remember, if Jesus was sitting beside you, how would you act? Let me tell you something. If you're born again, Jesus is not sitting beside you. Jesus is sitting inside you. We need to understand the power that God has given to his church. And we need to understand the need to be holy, sanctified, set apart, submitting to the will of God, that he might be pleased to use us as his vessels. You look historically throughout the scripture, God mightily stretches forth his hand to save, to heal, to deliver, to strengthen, to empower, to encourage, to exhort in many wonderful ways. Those whose heart is perfect towards him, those who are humble, those who are submissive, those who are seeking him first in his kingdom and his righteousness, but those, even those who are supposed to be in covenant with him, like covenant Israel, uh, all of these kings who, who were wicked and were proud, not only does God not bless them, but God allows them to fall under his curse and wrath. But God's will for us as his children is to be used by him, endued by him with power from on high. Why? So we can show off how good we are and how great we are? No. So we can have a Rolls Royce and a Learjet and a big house and a worldwide TV ministry? No. Why? So that we might be used by him to see many come to Christ. That our families might be transformed. Our children will walk in the way of the Lord. Our grandchildren will walk in the way of the Lord. The neighbors that live around us, if they don't walk in the Lord, praise God they're going to hear it every day we can listen to the boom boxes and this that and the other thing that's all around us but they're going to hear the word of the living God we're going to speak it when we wake up we're going to speak it when we walk outside we're going to speak it in the cafe when they're talking about this that and the other thing and we're going to speak it in the restaurant where it's getting worse and worse and they're loud yelling obscenities you know I like the Holy Spirit all the other spirits I leave for everybody else 
ABC store in the bar has got lots of spirits, but there's one they're missing. That's the Holy Spirit. You go out, these people are yelling this, that, and the other thing. If you get in that situation, I don't hardly go out anymore. I'm too cheap to go to a lot of these places where they have that. But uh, I thank God when other people take me, but, but I'm just tempted. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just tempted. Next time I ever get to a place like that, I've got to do it, because if I don't, I feel ashamed of preaching it. When they start yelling curse words and, and all this stuff, I'm going to say, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is Lord. Praise God. You want to see a place get quiet quick? <laughs> I can't do that, Pastor. You can if you have the power of God in you. Let's quickly look at Ephesians 4 and 5, just a, a passing uh, glance as we move towards Ephesians 6. Ephesians 4, 3 and 4, Paul prays again for us that, that we might be filled with the power of the Spirit of God in Ephesians 3. And then Ephesians 4, he tells, okay, you know who you are now. You know what you have now from the power of God inside of you. Now, how shall we live? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. He's begging us that we do what? That we walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. What is he talking about? We are called, folks, not to be a manager of a store or, or even a CEO of a company or, or a superstar on the athletic field. If you happen to be one of those things, that's okay. But our ultimate calling and our career as a Christian is to serve him, to glorify him, to be vessels of his grace vessels of his mercy, vessels of his word and of his power and lights upon the earth and salt in the earth to transform the society more and more to hear the gospel of the glorious God and his son Jesus Christ. We should be shining forth this light in every word, everything we say, everything we do. We should not be like the unbelievers. When people see us, they should look at us and wonder whether or not we're, we're a secular college professor or whether we're a pastor. People should see us and they should get mad. I don't want to make people mad, but they see our shirt. I had a t-shirt the other day. It says, take the rainbow back. And it refers to Genesis, what is it, 9, 13, about God will set his bow in the clouds. The rainbow is God's symbol. God used the rainbow, right, for a promise that he'll never flood the earth again. We got people out here using a rainbow for something else. They need to be woken up and telling, what are you doing stealing God's symbol? We need to be, I don't want to say obnoxious, although sometimes I probably am, but we need to be bold. We need to be salt in this community because Jesus says if the salt loses its savor, it's good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the feet of men. And brothers and sisters, what is the secular world doing to the church today? Cast it out. Trod it under the feet, make fun of, mock, ridicule, ignore, dismiss. Could it be because we've lost our saltiness? Boy, I like country ham. Your pastor took me to eat country ham the other day. Old Steve Cobb used to brag about the country ham he'd get in Burlington. God bless him. Something about it, when you bite into it, you know it's country ham. And God bless those Yankees I got in my church in Lake Norman. Over there, Mooresville, you know it's country ham when they bite into it, too. <laughs> what is this? There's something wrong with this ham. <laughs> Folks, God bless them all. That's the way that it should be when people get a taste of us. Amen? Why? Because the power of God is in working in us. Walk worthy of the vocation with your call with all, but, but, 
We don't go around strutting, you know, with all lowliness and meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. We have to remember that. Ephesians 5 verse 1, Be ye followers of God in the King James. In some newer translations it says, Be imitators of God. The Greek word there is mimete, from which we derive our English word imitate. Imitate God. I, we have to be careful with what we're saying. We don't want to make ourselves into idols, but we're to imitate Jesus Christ. We need to understand that the body of Christ, when he was on earth, Jesus Christ had all of the fullness of the Godhead in him. There manifest in the sense that all of the gifts of the church are in him fully operational but now we have just in part because we're the whole body and when we're divided a little over here and a little over there and a little over there and a little over there uh, we're weak but when we come together understanding there's one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one spirit and one power of that glorious God to work through his church for one purpose to evangelize the world and ultimately to glorify our triune God and we submit to that and surrender to that oh Oh my, what can God do? Of course, it's good to start as an individual and then as a church. And certainly we want to see that in more. And I, I thank God for allowing me to come here uh, from another church in another town through God's providence. And we see that we are called to imitate God. And it tells us not to be sinful. It tells us to seek after righteousness. It tells us in this passage in Ephesians 5, I won't read it all, verse 1 through 20, I'm not going to read it all, but just a few things I want to point out. What are we told to do? How are we told to walk? It says, verse 14, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest. I'm afraid the church has been sleeping, folks. Why has the culture got to where they're calling good, bad, and bad, good? Isn't that where it's come? It is, isn't it? It's amazing. We have a culture now that says good is bad and bad is good. How does it happen? I think the church has been asleep for the last hundred years in large part. We have allowed it to happen. It's our fault. But it can be reversed. It's time for the church to wake up. Amen? Awake, awake thou that sleepest, verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 5. Thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. And brother, turn on the TV. God forbid you'll see the days are evil. It's time to redeem the time. You say, I've never heard this before. I'm not so sure about this. That's okay. Whatever time you have left, it's time to redeem it for the Lord. From this night forward, you need to begin to make changes, perhaps, in your life. If you're a hundred percent sanctified and already perfect forgive me the rest of you need to hear this we need to begin changing we need to begin submitting we need to allow the Lord to work in us we need to redeem what we have left the further we go and some of you have gray hair and there's, there's not any any really young people in here except me but anyways uh, <laughs> but 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 the point is as we get older we have less and less time therefore that time becomes more and more precious of how we use it we, oh, there is a young man there. Praise God. Thank you for being here. We need to redeem the time. Remember I mentioned the other night? 
The average American is on TV six hours a day. That's outdated. Now you add in the telephone and the iPad and this, that, and the other thing, it's more than six hours. And how much is the average American? Now remember, 70% of Americans, something like that, say they're Christians. So where's the, how, how long do you think, how long do you think the average American reads his Bible a day? If you took all 350 or 400 million of them and you average it out, how long? I would say less than one second. Because the vast majority of Americans never open the Bible. God forbid that be speaking of us. Amen? But if you're going to redeem the time, if you're going to commit yourself to be used of God, if you're going to commit yourself to, to, lay, to lay that foundation anew in Christ Jesus, to rededicate yourself, to, to be set upon that unshakable rock of the confession that Peter had that Jesus Christ is Lord, He is God, He is the Messiah, and He alone can save, you will have trouble. Jesus said, in the world you will have trouble. I was once preaching in a church, everybody there I think was over 70, and most of them were over 80, and, and there was a row up here where, you know, the people had the hearing devices and this, that, and the other thing. It was where the real old folks were. And uh, I was preaching that passage in John 16, right? It was the last verse, I guess. In the world you will have trouble. Now, that's not the rest of the verse. After that, it says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I says, in the world you'll have trouble. The whole time, everybody was solid. I thought they were mad at me. But when I said, in the world you'll have trouble, those old, amen, amen. <laughs> that's the only thing they could say amen to is that in the world you'll have trouble. Well, that's true, but praise God, that's not the end of the verse. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. You say, praise God for Jesus. I wish I could be like that. That's the point of this message. In him, you too have victory and overcome. You need to understand that before we end tonight. So as we move forward, we know that the more we step out for Christ, the more the enemy is going to target us. You, I've heard evangelists say this more than one. Uh, new level, new devil. As long as you don't read your Bible and you don't pray and you just live your life like every other American and claim to say you're a Christian, the devil doesn't care about you. You are no threat to him whatsoever. But when you begin to share your faith, when you begin to tell people about the truth of what the Bible says uh, against what culture is saying, when you begin to take stands, you're making somebody very angry. His name is the devil. There is a spiritual warfare that we must fight. That's why you turn to Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, and you find these words. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. We need to understand, none of ourselves, we are nothing. The strongest of you, the mightiest of you, the most intelligent of you, one day, if the Lord does not tarry, will turn into dust. We are nothing without God. But in God, it says, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The devil is scheming. The devil is desiring to get you off of the battlefield, to, to just let you go take a vacation spiritually and just to, to, to focus on your life or focus on your car restoration project or make sure you have the greenest grass in the neighborhood or your home improvement project or your quilting thing or, hey, I've got four kids, I understand, don't get convicted, or this kid goes to soccer, this kid goes to dance, this kid goes to 
this, 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 and this, and there's no time for anything else, and you're so worn out, you just crawl into the bed, you can't read the Bible, God have mercy. It's okay, God understands. No, he doesn't. No, there's something more important. We shouldn't neglect our kids. We shouldn't neglect God-given talents, but we can't neglect, we can't afford to neglect the one who loved us, the one who gave himself for us, the one who gives us every breath successively that we have and could take the very next breath away and we would all fall over dead right here whenever he pleases. That's the God we serve. This is the God who made us. This is the God who created us. This is the God who gave himself to die on the cross for us. And this is the God that we will face one day in judgment and have to answer for everything that we've done in the body. And this is the God, if we're born again, who will receive us unto himself and that he will take away all fear and all sadness. We'll see that in just a moment. What a glorious thing. But in the meantime, we are the church militant. We must fight. Now the good thing is with the victory has been assured. Look what it says. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. It says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. People say, oh, you know, if we could just get Trump out of office, everything would be okay. Well, that's what the other side said about Obama. It doesn't make any difference, folks. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We should vote godly. We should do all that we can, work into the political system for godly purposes. But ultimately, our fight is not against politicians. Our fight is not against the, the brother or the sister who, who there's a sibling rivalry or the neighbor who has a loud dog or, or whatever it is or your boss or this, that, and other thing. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's what what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to get mad at people, offended people, especially in the church. I'm not going to talk to that one. I got a cold shoulder. Uh, he better say hello to me. No, God forbid. That's satanic. No, no, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. They're not our enemies because Satan is not prejudiced. He wants to kill and destroy and steal the joy of young, old, white, black, uh, Arab, Russian, Chinese. He could care less. He wants to destroy all of you because you're made in the image of his arch enemy, God. And if you're born again, in the image of his son Jesus Christ he's doubly angry so we have to be ready we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against powers, principalities, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day having done all to stand Stand therefore with your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked, and the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. That's the one offensive weapon God gives. When you say this word, when you resist the devil, he must flee. When you begin to read the word of God, people get angry. Some people get sad. Some people get saved. Some people get mad. But let me tell you folks, when you read this inspired, holy, inerrant, all-powerful, double-edged sword, the world begins to change because that's the power that God has given to you and to me. The only offensive weapon in that armor is the Word of God and prayer. How much are you reading the Word of God? How much are you praying? And how far along are you getting your spiritual life? And if you don't see yourself growing closer and closer to Christ day by day, perhaps it's because you're not on the offense and you're relying on a weak defense. Well, I have my faith. That's good. At least it'll help you. Some people have a lot of faith. Big shield. All the fiery darts of the wicked are quenched. Some people have little faith, little shield. A lot of fiery darts of the wicked get through. We get confused. We get sad. We get discouraged. We get depressed. We get put out of the game. We're no longer cheering and Satan has won the victory. God forbid. 
Now, I want to end. I promise to close no more than three times, Pastor. This is the first. <laughs> this, is the, this is the first close. This is the first close. <laughs> I say again, if I draw it four hours at night, I should at least be able to preach for two. <laughs> this is wonderful. And we've already seen how Jesus Christ is Lord and how he has overcome the evil one. And, and, and we trust that God can do that. And he's giving us armaments now, but... We don't like to think in spiritual warfare terms. We, we don't like to think about the devil coming after us, and we're not quite sure that we really want to engage at all. But what you need to understand, if you're a born-again believer, you've already been given the victory. Notice it doesn't say here, go and find the devil and go stab him with the Bible. It doesn't say that. What does it say? It doesn't say... Even the Bible doesn't say, go find serpents in the woods and take them up and sing and dance. No, no. <laughs> it's a different story. It's if you are uh, bitten by a poisonous serpent. That's why we got our brothers up in the mountains sometimes get bitten. Don't know why. But the point is, we're not supposed to go find the devil every place behind every tree and flush him out. What does the Bible tell us? It says, stand therefore. Stand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Why stand? Why not go after him? Because Christ has already given us the high place in the battle. He's already won the victory. He's already ascended up Mount Zion. He's already given us this place of preeminency over all the powers of darkness. And therefore he has placed us by his marvelous grace and love and the power of the Holy Spirit. He has placed us on that place so that now all we have to do is stand our ground fully armed in the, in the armor of Christ himself. You're still not sure? Well, let's get back to Ephesians 1 to understand it just a bit better. Ephesians 1. We just read it. At the end of the chapter, the Apostle Paul prays for us. What does he pray for us? That we would understand who we are in Christ and what we have in him. And notice it says... Uh, it's that, that we have the exceeding power of God. The, the power that he used in raising Christ from the dead is inside of us. And then it goes in the last few verses of Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 verse 20. Which God the Father wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come. Do those words sound familiar to you? Principality, power. Have you heard those any time in the last few minutes? Put your finger in Ephesians 1. Turn back to Ephesians 6. We just read it. Who are we to fight against? Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Well, then who do we wrestle against? We wrestle against principalities and powers. Who are our enemies? Those spiritual powers of wickedness. Where was Christ raised up? Far above, verse 21 of verse 1, far above all principality and powers. Christ has already been raised far above those powers that are enemies. Isn't that wonderful? You're not convinced. Therefore, I have to give you something better. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened, and were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein, I'm sorry, Far above, verse 21 of chapter 1. Far above, Jesus is far above all of these demonic powers. Verse 22 and 23. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. That's us, which is his body, the fullness of all that filleth all. And 
if Jesus is far above all principality and power, and he's the head of the church, and we're his body, where are we in relationship to those principalities and powers that are enemies? We're far above. Amen? Not only that, look at Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 6 for the confirmation. And you, Christian, hath he quickened. You've made you alive who were dead, dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. It says that we used to have a master and he was Satan, whether we realized it or not. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even while we were dead in sins, even while we were following the devil and we don't want to admit it, even while we were contrary to him, what did he do for us? Verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, he has made us alive, quickened us together with Christ, for by grace you are saved. Hallelujah. What love of God that while we are sinning against him, while we have not yet turned to him, his love is shed abroad in our hearts and he looks at us with mercy and grace and tears as he did on, on his way to Calvary and he has mercy upon us and saves us because of his love, not because of our righteousness. But there's one more thing that he does when we're born again in verse 6, the next verse that we must understand to understand this message. Verse 6. And hath, that's in King James, the aorist tense in Greek. It's, an all, it's a completed action. He has already done it. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where are you sitting right now if you're a Christian? The Bible says in heavenly places in Christ. Is that what it says? You thought you were in Burlington tonight. <laughs> well, if you're not born again, you just might be. But if you're born again, the Bible says in some spiritual sense, we have a stake and a claim and a place right now at the right hand of God the Father seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Wow. Can you imagine? It doesn't say... Like the wonderful song, when we all get to heaven. Yes, that'll be a day of rejoicing. But I think we should begin to rejoice now because it says we've already been raised up and made to sit together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now the second close. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 14, it says that we have already received the down payment, the inheritance, the earnest of our inheritance. Remember we said that Greek word was what? Erebon. I know you Greek scholars are out there hiding. Uh, and that's the, the engagement ring. We were, as it were, engaged to the Lord. Do you understand that if you're a believer, you've been engaged already? Engaged to be married. To who? Well, turn with me to Ephesians 5 real quickly. Ephesians 5, there is this picture. We don't have time to unpack it all. We'll just mention it. The Apostle Paul is telling wives to submit to their husbands. God forbid. But yes, that's true. And then in verse 25, husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus died on the cross, where was the church? When Jesus was arrested, where was the church? They had all abandoned him. But he still died for them. That's some love, men. That's the way we have to love our wife. You say, well, she doesn't treat me the way that I deserve to be treated. How did the church treat Christ? What does he deserve? But he still died for him. What a beautiful picture. 
And then it goes on to say that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it, what's it? The church to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish. And it goes on to say, uh, it's talking about marriage, verse 31, for this call shall a man leave his father and mother shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The idea, folks, is that if you're a born-again believer, you've been betrothed to Jesus Christ. We have been engaged. We've received the down payment of the inheritance. And we are going forward to that marriage supper of the Lamb. Turn to Revelation chapter 19. We find it there. Revelation chapter 19. If you're a born-again believer, you have an invitation to a marriage dinner, a marriage supper. But you're not just going to be there for the stake. I don't know if there'll be a stake. You're going to be there for the marriage itself. And what place will you serve in this marriage? Chapter 19 of Revelation. And after these things I heard a great voice, and much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God, for true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. The Lord is returning, folks. It's the second coming. And again they said, Hallelujah. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts uh, fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne saying praise our God all ye his servants ye that fear him both small and great and I heard as it were the voice of great multitudes the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thundering saying hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready who's his wife you do you know that you're going to be married to Jesus Christ? Tomorrow night, we're looking forward to taking the Lord's Supper, communion. The idea is that when we are born again, Christ is in us. When you walk out the streets in Burlington, can people see Christ in you? They should. They should see his power. They should see his love. They should smell the aroma of Christ in you because we're engaged to it. And one day we're going to be married to him. And what a glorious day that'll be. I don't, I'm not going to read much of it. It's just here in chapter 21, just a very brief look at how it's going to be. Verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared for her as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And and God himself shall be with them and be their God. That which Adam and Eve lost in the garden is now restored and multiplied many times. And look what God will do. Look how much God cares for you who have mourned, who have lost loved ones, who have gone through trials and tribulations. Look what this God of the Bible does for you. Verse 4, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. 
There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son says, he that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life, he shall drink freely. And he that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God. He will be my son. I end my final close by saying this. Do you really know who you are in Christ? What kind of salvation has God let his son die for? For you to come to church every once in a while, I don't know whether you come to church or not. This is the, the beauty of me coming here and not knowing you. For you to come late and leave early, for you to watch the clock if, this, if the sermon gets long, for you to not open your Bible but to rush to watch the football game, for you to spend hours and hours watching football games and other things, whatever it may be, and not even minutes a day in the Word of God or in prayer. What kind of salvation is this? What kind of salvation is it when tragedy comes and the unbeliever who has no hope whatsoever can't tell any difference in you? No, no. You have the power of God residing in you. If you've been born again, you have God's power inside of you. He's given you His Word. He's given you His salvation. He's given you His grace. He's given you His very armor to fight against the enemy. He's already given you the victory in the high ground. He hasn't told you to go and chase the devil or to fight in that way, but merely to stand in the victory He's already given you. He's given you the place of authority at the right hand of God the Father, for He Himself himself, his son said, all authority, all power in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Now therefore you go. Who's going to go? You if you're born again. In whose name and in whose authority? The authority of the name of Jesus, which is the name above all names, the name that one day every knee in heaven and on earth and in the hell itself will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone in this room will one day confess Jesus Christ. I hope you already have. Everyone in Burlington will one day confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone in America, this old world, will one day confess. Are they all going to be saved? No. Going two ways. You either confess Him now, willingly, with a submissive heart, surrendering to Him, or you fight and you resist and you remain proud and you hold back certain areas of your life and heart which you absolutely refused to allow God to have and the idolatry of the satanic trinity, me, myself, and I takes over and we don't know the Lord. But one day God himself will cause us in the pit of hell forcibly and with great resentment and great remorse to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The devils know he is. They're not saved. God forbid any of us be in that account. But I'm persuaded better things of you, brothers and sisters. And before they come up to sing, I just ask you this one question. Have you surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ doesn't ask you to merely confess him with your lips, but to believe on him in your heart. He asks you to die to yourself. You cannot be born again until you first die. 
I think a lot of people are excited about being born again, but they're not so excited about dying. They refuse to die to self. They say a prayer and think they're born again. But let me tell you, until you've died to self, till you've understood that we're dead, we cannot be born again. Is there anyone in here like that tonight? Before you leave tonight, it's time to surrender Surrender to him. That power that we're talking about, do you have it in you? If you say yes and you agree in the mind, how about in action? Is it manifesting in your marriage, with your children, in your family, with your grandchildren, in your work, in the community? If it's not manifesting, where is it? Jesus says you'll know a true tree by its fruits. The word of God's not wrong. If you're born again, you should have that power. That power should be operating in our ministry day after day. Not just paid ministers, but you're a minister too. Every saint is a minister. And if you are a believer, are there areas? I hope everyone here is a believer. If so, is there anything that you haven't turned over to Christ? I end with this. I don't really believe that that glorious power that God wants to put in each and every one of you to use you for his kingdom's advance and his glory will ever even come close to that which it was designed and the level that he wants it to be, if you will, in his body if we leave certain areas off limits to him. Well, I'll go to church, but I'm not going to the prayer meeting. <laughs> Here's my tithe, Pastor. It's two or three dollars. Is that all you made? Twenty, thirty dollars this week? Oh no, no. Tithe is just whatever I feel like giving. Who says? You know what tithe means, ten percent? Uh I'll go to church, but if the pastor preaches too long, huh, he's just got to understand, i got to leave. He should be happy that I come anyways. God forbid there be anyone in here that's like that. Let me tell you right now, I can say this. I can hit you and run. Y'all can kick me all the way back to Mooresville. It'll be a quick trip. If there's anybody in here who's ever thought that, you need to get on your knees tonight and repent before God. Repent before God. You say, well, I just don't like these long sermons. Folks, what do you think heaven's going to be like? I have to say this, Pastor, and I'll be done. I'm sorry for taking the time. Thank you. I just, I just have to say this. Forgive me. I got, in our church, people have gotten used to long sermons. I understand you got some long sermons here too. Is that right? <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. But when I first went to that church, they didn't like those long sermons. There's a guy back somewhere back in there, and I get to a certain point, and you could see him. We had, we had a clock up there, and he'd be back there, and I'd be preaching. He'd be like, <laughs> and he'd keep doing that until I looked his way to know that I saw that he's looking at the clock. Now, it is kind of comical. You don't know this man, so I'm going to tell it. But it's not comical, it's satanic. Because that man was supposed to be an elder of that church. That man had season tickets to the Carolina Panthers. And whenever they had a home game, he wasn't in church. One time I asked him, trying to be gracious. I don't think you have any business going to a Panthers game on the Lord's Day anyways. But it's 1.30, I say, can't you come to church and then go to the game? Oh no, I got to go to the tailgate party. What you going to do at a tailgate party? Oh, well, you know, just stuff. Pastor and the church are here drinking grape juice at the communion table 
while elders in Charlotte drinking something else before the game. Now, I pray that man has repented. But that's abject sin. There's, there, that's horrible. It's terrible. God forbid any of us have thoughts like that. They're going to come up and sing. And as they sing, maybe you're called to come up to the altar or to pray in your own chair. God asks nothing less of you than absolute surrender. So that you might be able to say, along with the Apostle Paul, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. For the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you say that tonight, brothers and sisters? Don't leave this place until you can in perfect faith. God bless you.